0: All right, we are going to be kicking off a couple-part series here of Biblical Wealth. This is part one. So the premise of this class was there was a fascinating book, uh, The Jewish Secrets of Wealth, by uh, Rabbi Avraham Avi Schwartz. And in the book, it was basically a giant compilation of quotes from the Torah, quotes from the Talmud, and even mixed in there some Midrash and Zohar. And all of them were organized in a way to share the Jewish secrets of wealth. So this is a very, very interesting book, and I got very excited to discuss it with you guys, and also to kind of layer in some of our understandings and backgrounds of wealth We'll layer in our own personal experiences with wealth, layer in things that we've heard from the secular world, and try to meld them all together so that by the end, we have a very good understanding of what wealth is, where it comes from, and how do we obtain more wealth? How do Sounds we become good. wealthy? Right? In the right way, in the mm-hmm. biblical way, hence the title. So, the first question that this book asked. And the first question I will ask, is wealth a good thing? And I think that's a kind of an interesting question. Because especially in life, not from the book, but thinking about our own perspective, I know when I was growing up in the church, there was, there was a pretty big emphasis on the fact that you can't serve two masters. You can, you can serve God or you can serve money. That money is the root of all evil. That is literally a quote. Uh, I believe it's from but it's not actually uh, it's not a quote from of the Bible. it is well for the love of money, <laughs> the is, love of money. oh sorry uh, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs first yes. timothy 6:10 yeah. so there there is there is a hesitancy at times from my experience in the visible representation of the church to consider wealth a good thing, mm-hmm. to, to, to even encourage the pursuit of wealth. Not
1: so in Judaism. And so that's the first question is wealth a good thing? Well, what do you guys think? It's you, you say that about Judaism, because Judaism, by and large, is not afraid of wealth, but there are some weird quotes from some Jewish sages that kind of almost imply maybe wealth's not a good thing, or that it's good to not be wealthy. Um, There's a quote in the uh, Perkei vote about something about, like, you know, uh, uh, a piece of bread, a cup of water, a floor to lay down on. These are what, you know, a man needs, and then and then Torah, or something like that. And the the commentary in the art scroll, Sador, actually has to go out of its way to say, this is meant to be kind of an extreme or to make a point. It's not advocating for, um, you know, that, uh, what's, the, uh, what's the word the word looking for there? That that, 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 that that Asceticism, yes, thank you. Um, it's not calling for that. So I think the answer to your question is wealth a good thing. I would say it can be a good thing, but it's not inherently a good thing. Okay. Okay. It should be, maybe. But it
2: isn't always. Okay. Okay. I would say that about anything, though. Anything that's, that's good or can be used for good can always be used for, for evil. Mm-hmm. Anything that God can bless us with can always be something that we overuse. I think of wine, right? <clears throat> wine, a strong drink, are a brawler, and yet at the same time, they, they gladden the heart of man. So... Yes, they do. I would, I would say,
0: <clears throat> given poverty or wealth, I'll take wealth every time. Okay. Okay. Even yeah. in light of the admonition from Messiah Yeshua regarding the difficulty for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven yeah because
2: and and I apologize for the voice but <clears throat> I have been a poor man not so poor I couldn't eat um, but I've, I've been on the poor side of things and as a, as the Lord has blessed and We've we've made more money and we started a company and you know we're supporting over a dozen families now. And, and I don't mean we're supporting them like charity. I mean that twelve families actually rely on my company for their paychecks. Yeah. And in addition, we're able to donate money to the community and to various widows and to other charities. Maybe it's because I've seen the Poverty side, but I feel so grateful that I've been able to demonstrate at least a little bit <clears throat> of good stewardship, so that He's chosen to allow me to be a steward of more. Mm-hmm. So I think if if you if you if you're growing that way, it can't be a bad thing. It seems like. The admonition that you mentioned
1: is for someone that hasn't perhaps gone through that road. Or, or even another side comment is to say, you know, the difficulty of rich man entering the kingdom of heaven, um, that sounds like an entrance problem, not a staying power problem. So for, in your case, you have a relationship with God, you had a relationship with God, and then you obtain wealth. And I feel like when you, especially when it comes in something similar to that order, or at least, or or in some cases, if you come into a relationship with God at a much younger age, potentially, um, then I think that the wealth becomes much less of a detriment. In the story that Yeshua tells of the the rich young ruler, the problem was that he already had wealth, and he was, um, and the wealth became more important to him than God. It seemed to be the driver. It was the driver, because that was his point. Yeshua is the end. The story says, look, there's, there's a... Something missing. You're missing something. One thing. one thing missing. And the one thing missing um, is that he says, Give up all you have. You give up your wealth come follow me. Now, that's an extreme request, obviously. I don't think Yeshua makes that of all of us. But I think that the, that the, the implication, at least commentators have frequently said, the implication is that the rich young ruler had missed the, 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 the significance of God in his life and that wealth had supplanted God. And so Yeshua's request was specifically challenging that particular area. If you have grown up, or if you are in a place where God is your centerpiece, adding wealth to that, as I'm sure you will give us plenty of examples, is actually extremely powerful, exactly what you're describing. Agreed. And I think you touched
0: on something really significant too, which was this idea of almost growing in other areas of your life alongside of your wealth. So you increased in wisdom, you increased in maturity, you increased in discipline. And as you grew from where you were as not having very much money, it, it's, it's really cool to, to hear that wealth kind of grew along with you. And I, I think we'll find through the course of this that that, that isn't a mistake, that mm-hmm. that is kind of a, a neat biblical approach to wealth, where the focus isn't on the acquisition of more money as much as it is on the qualities of wisdom and humility mm-hmm. and discipline and the various things that come along that where, where wealth then is a byproduct as opposed to you, what your focus was throughout mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I, I get it. Uh, not that I've achieved any of or all of those. That's very cool of you to say. Um, but it, it occurs to me with what Joshua said, that if, if wealth was the problem, as some people conclude, then that would have been his answer every time. Right. Oh, yeah. oh, you still have some money. Get rid of the money. Yeah, right. But it wasn't. No. In fact, the answer seems to be different almost every time when he's asked. It to the point where, you know, keep the commandments. Well, I've kept all the commandments. Okay. Good. Then here's 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 what you need to do. Or,
1: if you love me, keep my commandments. Well, you get the you get the. Um, there doesn't seem to be the same ultimatum given to Zacchaeus, for example. Right, he's a very wealthy man. Right, right, right. Now he, we don't know how much money he had left over after he paid back all the people he stole from. But the point is, he was still a rich man. It doesn't. There's, the implication is not that he ceases to be wealthy. Right, and furthermore, I mean, I'm not. Actually, I don't want to get ahead of you. You may have, no, I don't no, want to steal no. your example. No, trust me, you the can't two, get ahead. The, the whole purpose, the purpose of this discussion. discussion, the two men that the mast. Right, Joseph of Arimathea We're is a wealthy man. Nicodemus wealthy. Is, is, according to the is it the Talmud he shows up in that. Yeah, He's Timo. extremely wealthy. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, we have in the scriptures we have a specific reference to Lydia. Lydia is a very wealthy woman um, who takes care so, of Paul and and the, and the disciples uh, in their in her city. And it provides provides a place for them to stay. Um, the implication. From what I can tell about the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the woman and her husband who built a house for uh, Elisha, um, built room for them, they must have been doing fairly well. I mean, you don't necessarily have a prophet staying with you all the time and then eventually build him an entire extra little little uh, you know, in-law suite yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, you're, if you're struggling. So the point is to say that, and I think really what you get, I guess what I'm trying to say is, wealth is, is a tool, and, and from my opinion, and I feel like just for my own life that my happiness has had almost nothing to do with how much money I had at that time. There were times where it was easier to be content with money. At the same time... I would say that that seems when I look back on it, I feel like that's more a failing of myself to not have been content where I was at, because I've had previous situations where I had even less money and I was more content. So the point is that like throughout my life, Brookishem, I've never been in a case where I needed to where I was too poor to get something I needed, or where I was in, in I had needed to borrow money in order to make daily uh, expenses. However, I've had lots of times in my life where I, I didn't have you know you know money to buy extra stuff. Basically had enough money to make it buy make by and a little bit of money to keep life entertaining, but not, you know, not rolling in it. And that was okay. Contentment is yeah, I think it's a big deal. It's great gain, I believe, is the uh Galatians the
2: five, isn't it? Or six. six. With, with godliness
1: is great godliness
2: gain. Godliness with, with contentment is great gain. I I I don't think I've ever been discontent. I've I've wanted to give my my wife or my children more, right? But I don't think I've ever been less than content with what God has provided. So, um, just from personal experience,
1: okay. well, tell us about your whole book. Well, so,
0: so now uh, th- those are all great answers, and I feel like that was a helpful introduction to is wealth a good thing? Because if we concluded no, that's the end of well, the <laughs> So So, uh, you know, no, definitely uh, no spoilers here. Uh, so, yes, wealth is a good thing. Here are a couple really interesting quotes from the Talmud to reinforce this idea. Uh, So there's this verse in Deuteronomy 11.6 that says, The ground under their feet. And as the sages like to do, they like to extract one statement like that and figure out, wait, what does that mean? The ground under their feet from Deuteronomy 11.6. And so they say, This verse taught, Rabbi Elazar refers to a person's wealth. It stands him on his feet. That was from Pesachim 119a. And then Rab Shmuel Bar Nachman said, When a person is wealthy, he shows his friend a happy face. <laughs> that was from Bereshit Rabbah one five. And then Rabbi Elazar said, A man who has no land is no man. From Yevamot 63a. You know, the founding fathers of America had a very similar... I'm sure family. they did. Yes. I, I, I really like these two as well. A beautiful home expands a person's thoughts, from Brachot 57b, and beautiful garments enlarge a person's thoughts, from the same passage there. And so, if we look here at the, the uh, Pirkei 3.21, it says, Thus, every aspect of Torah depends on wealth. Rabbi Elazar Ben Azariah would say, If there is no flower, there can be no Torah. And also from uh, Ecclesiastes 10.19, it says, Food leaves the laughter, wine adds joy to life, and money solves all problems. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that didn't be a
1: quote in the church, was it? you it? Know, yeah, the, it's very money interesting. Money solves all What's problems.
0: It? Well, so this might be a little off, unless you have a Hebrew version. It says 10.19. But one of the things that this book did go ahead and point out, though, after some of these quotes, was it was pointing out that as we already mentioned regarding poverty that, that there's also lessons in that and I thought this was a really good one I wanted to point out this is from Tana Bide Eliyahu Zuta chapter oh, 5 in case you wanted to pull that up and it says Hashem tested out all attributes and found none as good for Yisrael as poverty through poverty they fear Hashem through poverty they do charity through poverty they do acts of kindness and through poverty they learn Torah. So this was kind of an interesting point of the book where it was you know, trying to find that balance there, where it's not saying like, hey, whoa, only, the only way that you find goodness and lead and find God and all that is through wealth. It's like, well, no, Hashem actually does use poverty in a very specific way at times to get Israel's attention, to get our attention. And so I, I wanted to throw that in there to, for that balance. But the, uh, the real point here. To go through is the pursuit of wealth for wealth's sake is unfulfilling and just leads to stress and anxiety. So we have a great verse here from Proverbs twenty three four. We'd like to read that. Proverbs twenty three four. And then we have uh,
2: if do not toil to acquire wealth, but discerning enough to desist. Nice. Be discerning enough to desist. Hmm.
0: That is that is excellent. And then uh, another one from Ecclesiastes five ten through twelve.
2: Ecclesiastes. Oops.
1: Five. Okay. Ten through twelve. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. When good things increase, those who consume them increase. Is that ever true? So, what is the advantage their owners except to look on? The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Hmm. That
0: is... There is so much wisdom packed into that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I have have heard from multiple sources, multiple books, about this idea. I mean, one classic example that I, I think of when I think of this is... The, the data that is found in that book, The Millionaire Next Door. And it goes through the da- basically looking at the data around the typical person who you would think would be wealthy. And it's people that own the nice cars, people that own the nice houses, people that own the nice watches. And this whole idea about when goods increase, I mean, that's basically describing them. They don't have barely any money in the bank. Their net worth is is very poor, but they have a lot of stuff. Because as their income increased, their stuff increased like crazy. And there was was never a good balance there. And so I I think there's a lot of wisdom packed into there from that perspective. And then it it is so true that you have – there was this really tragic story that Tony Robbins talks about in his book Unshakable, where there's this billionaire – who, I mean, I, I think the numbers were something like, so he was worth like $9 billion. And he had a lot of it tied up in a particular way. Whatever that way was, there was a major crash. And he thought he was on the verge of losing everything and was so depressed that he literally killed himself. Wow. And it was like the next week that things rebounded and he still was worth like $5 billion. So yes, he was, he was worth half of what he was before, but that drove him so mad that he literally took his own life. And th- he was sharing how tragic of a story that is, because that's a story of somebody that is absolutely what this is driving, someone who is completely obsessed with money, and who will never be satisfied, not satisfied with $5 billion. I mean, that is, that's almost unthinkable, but it's just the point that some people can get to. Just a little bit
2: more. Exactly. Well, and that's the
1: thing I was saying earlier about <clears throat> my, just my own life I have found that my contentment and happiness has never been tied to how much money I was making or how much money was in the bank I think like I said can be a tool that I can use to make it a little easier um, but I've also got some of my biggest moments of um, of uh maybe angst or whatever you want to call it that has been sometimes about money uh, when I had more because it's like well how do you spend it what do you do with it and Do we have, you know, know, do we have plans for it and whatever else? And it's like, you know, I think that um, I have found oddly enough that that verse is so true that, you know, when goods increase, it's a them increase. It's like if you don't set aside a certain amount of money, specifically going into a savings account or whatever else, it's like your budget just magically expands. And you feel like you never spend that much money. And then suddenly you find yourself thinking you need more. And I think that's just, and that's so the point being, I'm trying to say, is that the amount of money doesn't seem to really be the deciding factor here. The deciding factor is you. Yeah, which which I think goes back to that
0: wonderful parable sure, that we'll get to at some point here, but of, of just about like being faithful with what you're given. Right. You're, you're given this much and when you're faithful with it, when you save with it, when you do the right things with it and you live below your means, as that increases, the intention is that your discipline that you applied here will be applied all the way through. You know, so right. that way, and that that and that was why I thought you had a great opening when you described how it went for you in your own life. It was a little bit like how Morgan and I were actually because when we started, I mean, that was when when we got married. That was the point where I owed the most amount of money minus a mortgage. I had student loans and I had a car payment, and so our our debt was at its highest point, and my income was at its lowest point of my entire marriage. And knowing how to act and live within that was such a good lesson for me as a man to understand restraint, to understand discipline, Mm -hmm. to understand that concept of paying yourself first or saving yourself saving first. And it was, you know, chipping away at it, but I'm just so grateful that Hashem allowed us to be find ourselves in that predicament because it was a really good lesson of discipline. And so now if there is an increase, it, it feels a lot less surprising or like, oh wow, we, we need to find a way to to, to spend this. Or you know, it, it's more like, okay, well we're doing well right now, so that'll just go straight over there. And it'll be as if it didn't even happen. You know, we, we find ourselves with more discipline now. And so that it was a, it was a, quite the lesson. I would I would argue
2: The the adjective is not discipline. It's contentment. Mm. Which I think is where Joshua was coming from. Yeah. You've you've learned to be content with what you have and given a whole bunch more due to a raise or a bonus or whatever it may be. If you are content with this, then you're not striving and struggling and scratching for that. So if you are granted that, well, you're already content, so you can get part of it away, put it into savings, put it away for the kids, whatever you're going to do. So, you know, That's
0: a good point, but I, I guess I it, it is it, was, it is much harder for me to be content than it is, I guess, to exercise the discipline. So, for example, I'm, when I'm there were ar- times I'm not arguing it doesn't take discipline. Okay, I'm just saying
2: I think the underlying reason for the discipline is it in is a learned contentment it, it could, could
0: be. be yeah it could be because just as an example like it i would say it was it was hard to be content with for instance not going out for dinner on a date one month mm-hmm. like that wasn't like oh yeah we're totally fine with that it was more like we're not going to do that because we care about something more right. you know like yeah. we, we it's more important in this case to save, or to use that for something else. Um, And so to your point, I think one of the things that really helped us, just from a practical standpoint for some of the younger people listening, it really helps to step back on Shabbat and not think about the acquisition of stuff, not think about the acquisition of money or anything like that, but step back and go, look at all we have. Look at the books we have. Look at the, the food we're eating and the, the wine. And the, 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 it really, I think we were, we were inspired to watch you actually do that when we would come over for Shabbats. Even before we were married, I would come over here and there was an atmosphere of contentment. When I came over here on a work day, there was an atmosphere of hard work. But on Shabbat, it, there was a, a real peace about like, let's just sit back and talk about how God is blessed. Amen. And and we carried that into our marriage, and, and that, that was very helpful, because during the week, it was hard to be content sometimes, but on Shabbat, it was really one of those moments where I was like, wow, even though this is kind of a smaller apartment, we're right here by a pool. This is pretty cool, you know? And Oh, we had some meat last night that we could grill, and you know, just like those little things, and you just, you have
1: like a nice moment to just reflect yeah. on how God is blessed. And so yeah. And I, and I find, too, that money is so weirdly transitory. I mean... Mm. The idea, I, I think that, and I'm not saying that I've learned this lesson like I should, but the idea that um, it's all really in the hands of God. And I think that there's this concept sometimes that money brings security, and that's completely not true. Um, I have been amazed at how I have received more, uh, more money one year than I would have expected. And then... I have been amazed at how God has blessed only for us to then have a car repair. takes it all away, you know, and just watching it rise and fall and really seeing that, like, like I was saying earlier, it's like I always, I feel like you've always been secure. I don't feel like there's been like a a risk that, oh, we're not going to make it somehow. Um, And yet in spite of that, um, you know, it's like God always gives enough to get to get through, and then sometimes he just takes it away. And it's not, it's not always predictable. And I, the best example I can think of is this really um, interesting uh, midrash uh, teaching. Um, and I think I heard this on the Isha Fleischer show, but talking about the, the, the bread of the presence. Stop me if this is something nope, you want to no, no. go ahead. So the bread of the presence, orange tradition, would stay hot all the time. It was stay um, fresh. Stay, stay fresh. fresh all the time. So they would, they would put it out that on Shabbat, what? and it would stay fresh all week. And... Uh, uh, no, Shlomo Katz, I believe, he told told the story, and he said, uh, and the um, Rabbi Katz was talking about this, and the, the idea was that the this was actually the the like the biggest miracle in the entire Tabernacle, of temple. and the question is why? Like, why would it matter? The bread was staying fresh. I mean, you know, the smoke always went up from the altar. Never blew with the wind. The uh, the fire actually was lit by God Himself. You know there were no flies over any of the blood. That wasn't any of the miracle. You know, everybody could pack in the temple and stand up and then kneel down. And there was plenty of room for them. That was the biggest miracle. The biggest miracle was the bread was always fresh. And the reason he taught this reason this being the case, the midrash or the commentary he was talking about was saying that the um, the reason was because it was a reminder that the because bread represents provision. Bread represents um, what you need for life. Um, bread represents work you know the, the, the benefits work and that taught every Jew who came to the temple that their money ultimately depended on God because if God could make the bread stay fresh mm-hmm. all week long he could provide for them there was never anything else and I think yes, that is really what you get from Yeshua Yeshua's point saying don't worry about you know wealth and all this other stuff God clothes the lilies of the field God can take care of you God feeds the birds of the air um, the point being that like if our faith is in money then we have we have failed, mm-hmm. whereas if our faith is in God, then wealth becomes a very powerful tool like we're talking about earlier, but at the same time, we're not dependent upon it. Yeah. Although it's funny because I, just real quick, I wanted to, um, there's a really interesting Bible verse that I thought of, um, I'm looking at the New King James Version because I could only hear one word from it, but Yeshua has some very interesting words. This is from Luke chapter 16, verse 9. And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous famine, referring to money, and when you, that when you fall, fail, excuse me, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? And then immediately after that, he talks about the no servant can serve two masters. So you see this... Almost dual way of looking at it from Yeshua, where where money is necessary, and you better be good with it, and then on the flip side, you better not serve it. Yeah, exactly. That's excellent. Excellent
0: point. There was a I really like this uh, this is a great summary verse as well to exactly what you were talking about, Joshua, from Hebrews thirteen five, and it says, "Keep your life free from money from the, from love of money, and be content with what you have, for He has said." I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so it's exactly your point, right? Like our focus isn't on money or loving money. The focus is on contentment and on loving God, on righteousness, on focusing on Him. Because when we do that, He won't forsake us, as you sure reminds us. So that's excellent. Very cool. So the uh, one of the big points that we're learning here is that we should be viewing wealth as a gift from God, not an expectation but a mm-hmm. gift from God that this is something, a tool as you put it that, that God can use through us to bless others so this is a really neat verse from Bami Bar twenty 22.7 and it says, Hashem created three gifts in this world if a person merits even one of them he merits the world's delight if he merits wisdom, he merits all If he marries, if he merits might, he merits all if he merits wealth, he merits all. Three gifts. Might, wisdom, wealth. It's really cool. The, uh, I love this verse too from Proverbs 10.22, if someone has that one. And then someone else can look up Ecclesiastes 5.19. I'll go back to Ecclesiastes again since someone's okay. already there. 10.22. Solomon had a lot of wisdom on wealth.
1: He did. He had a lot of
0: wealth. He had a lot of wealth. 10.22. <laughs> yes, sir. The blessing of the Lord makes rich. He adds no sorrow with it. That is what I absolutely love that verse because it goes back to just what we were talking about, about when money becomes the obsession, Mm. it is not the thing that provides security. It's the thing that actually causes the most anxiety and the sorrow and the worry And it can lead someone, as I told in that tragic story, to literally take their own life because of how much it consumes them. But that, to me, is just, that's the crux of that idea of Hashem is the one who blesses us
1: with wealth. It is a gift from him. So I I absolutely love that. But yeah, um, 519, sir. Furthermore, as for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth, he has also empowered him to eat from them and to receive his reward and rejoice in his labor this is the gift of god hmm. amen i think that is also a really cool thing you
0: know just being able to enjoy our lot to rejoice in hard work right like i mean yeah th- because that leads to i have my next thing is is my grandfather-in-law, Henry Stelzel, one of his favorite verses from Deuteronomy 8, right? It's about, it's this idea, you shall run, Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. It's sort of that idea where it's like, when you understand that God is the one that empowered you, that gave you the skill or, or gave you the ambition to work, then it, you you're rejoicing even when work is tough, mm-hmm. even when it was really hard and you're tired at the end of the day. It's a rejoicing. It's a moment to rejoice, and and to reflect on how much God is blessed. It's eight eighteen, right? Uh, Five nineteen. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, it was eight eighteen, Deuteronomy. Yes,
1: yeah. yes. I think that um, I think the two. Uh, one of the things here is in terms of work. It, I think so much of it has to do with. I kind of the same thing. Well, it, it really fits within that relationship with God. I think about um, the uh, the book "Every Good Endeavor," and I suddenly lost the name of the author, Christian author, um, very good. Uh, Uncle Dave gave it to me. Um, but the the point of that one that was so um, interesting and helpful uh, was this: the idea that all work is partnering with God. Right. It's part of the process of creation. So whether you're the janitor cleaning the cleaning the bathrooms or the CEO of the company, you're both if your work is not immoral, you're both doing work. That's actually continuing the story of creation. You're helping God make the world good. Yeah. And that in and of itself is a good thing. And if you are good at it, then that is ultimately you, you in a sense, you found your purpose, quote unquote, not your ultimate purpose, but your, your day to day, you know, daily life yeah. kind of purpose. Yeah. And that is very meaningful. And I, I think that's found I found true to be true too. So yeah. Excellent.
0: So one of the other points in the book was in addition to the fact that wealth is a gift from God, the the use of wealth or the acquisition of wealth could could also bring glory to God. And there's an interesting way you would kinda of think like, Okay, wait, that's a, that's interesting, you know, how how is that possible? And so the point being that acquiring wealth through righteousness and through wisdom is what then allows those around us to begin associating those traits of having of being a righteous man and being a wise man with the receipt of wealth. As opposed to the other way, right? Where you could you could set a very negative example when you're a very wealthy person, but you may also be very immoral, which would then teach those mm-hmm. around you, oh well if I wanted to do that, I, I need to behave that way. So, there's a, there's a couple interesting verses around this. So, one is from uh, Rabbi Shimon ben Menaseah, quoted in the name of Rabbi Shimon bar Yochai, who said, beauty, power, wealth, honor, are good for the righteous, and are good for the world. That's from Pirkei Avot 6.8. Hmm. And I, I think there's a, uh, this was an interesting verse that I added here from 1 Timothy 6.17-19, uh, if someone has that. 1 Timothy 6:17 through 19..
2: Okay. As for the church, <clears throat> as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future,
0: so that they may take hold of that
2: which is truly life.
0: That brings glory to God. Mm-hmm. That behavior of being generous, of being a good man, of being righteous, yes, for sure. of following God, that is what brings glory to him, and, that is what, and, and if that person happens to be wealthy, that's what begins for those around us to learn... That's, that,
1: the focus isn't on the wealth. The focus is on the righteousness. I, I appreciate that you bring that up because I think that sometimes one of the mistakes that we get in the church, so to speak, is, the, um, is this idea that somehow wealth is only good if you give it away. That if, you're, if, you're, if you guys given you wealth, then your responsibility is to give as much of it away mm-hmm. as possible. And I, and I think that, while I think that generosity is extremely important, although it's really important in all cases, no matter how much money you have, um, nonetheless, I think that wealth is, to your point, can bring glory to God in more than just generosity. I mean, to your comment earlier, you're hiring people. That's not necessarily generosity. That is uh, simply using it, making making it work, Gosh. and that yeah, and that's and that's providing for others. To God, your point, it, to your, your point sick. earlier, it's make uh, you know wealth wealth sets a good example um, to people who would like to have wealth. Uh, you can use what one of the things that wealth shows up a lot in in Judaism is the idea of like beautifying the mitzvah. You know, so you for Shabbat you're getting that nice piece of meat that you're going to eat or that nice bottle of wine or whatever it might be, and it's like these things are are good things. Or your comment earlier about you know. Um, Beautiful clothes make uh, help help a man feel better and so forth and think more and whatnot and and that actually applies also to Shabbat. There's a tradition that you wear nice garments on Shabbat in an effort to make yourself happy and that's a good thing and I think that's another thing too. Is it's like I think that wealth, when it's in the proper context, um, can be used to increase man's happiness, kind of like wine. Yeah. And I think that's good. I think that's part of why God gives it to us is is He wants us to not only bless others, but also bless ourselves in a healthy way that um, reflects positively on his rewarding of the righteous mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. helps us be more grateful to him.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. This is a, another wonderful verse kind of illustrating that. It's, the, it's from uh, Proverbs fourteen twenty four, and it says, The crown of the wise is their wealth, but the folly of fools brings folly. And uh, the Vilna Gaon has some commentary that says, A wise man who has wealth is respected, thus it is a crown for him. This, however, is not the case with the fool. His wealth is a source of scoffing. People only squeeze him for as much as they can. Thereafter, they are quick to disregard and discard him. Mm, so, sure. and so there, this I think that's a, a neat commentary to illustrate the response to the people who deal with a wise and wealthy man versus the one who is obviously an idiot and and just happens to have found himself to be wealthy. It's we, we hear stories <laughs> about that all the time of like famous musicians or, or athletes who squander everything away because they're, they're, it's not that they've gained their wealth through the the means that we've been describing. It's it's kind of a, a, a quick thing, Pleasure and pain. everyone around them now is their best friend, right. you know, and, and just wants in on on this
1: like gold rush that just happened to to take place in this person's life, and so yeah, like, you think about like contrasting you know the the lottery winner uh, versus Warren Buffett. You know, granted Warren Buffett has a lot more money, but at the same time, I think it's the way that he's earned that money that, at your point, gets respect. Whereas, as you put, the lottery winner—that's one of the most tragic stories. It's not just that they, um, they, they squander it, but yeah, to your point earlier, everyone suddenly becomes their best friend and wants a piece of the pie. Exactly. uh, Whereas, um, yeah, I think that yeah, wisdom Um, definitely—a wise person who has money—it reflects differently. People treat them differently. Exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: The, uh, the last verse I had in this
0: kind of uh, on this f- uh, train of thought was from Proverbs 8:18 8, And this is just a, a good one that pairs some of these things together and it says, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. This is coming obviously in that passage in Proverbs 8 from the, the story of wisdom. but um, I just think that's it, I love the, the pair of both. There's this idea of riches and honor, and there's this idea of wealth and righteousness, and that kind of illustrates what we had just what we were just talking about that those really go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, excellent. Well, the next section here is we're going to talk about how the what what is the idea of pursuing uh, of having a heavenly pursuit when it comes to wealth. So we're, when we're when we're thinking about wealth in the right way from a biblical perspective. So there's a neat story here that I'll go ahead and read. And this is, as Rabbi Eleazar taught, the Torah compares Geulah, or uh, exile, to... Earn- oh, I'm sorry. This is redemption. This is the uh, the uh, uh, the end, the redemption at the end. It compares to Geulah to earning a living, and earning a living to Geulah. Just as the Geulah is most wondrous, so too is earning one's living is a wondrous phenomenon, Rabbi Shmuel Bar Nachman said. Making a living is greater than the redemption, than Gula, for the redemption comes by way of an angel, while one's livelihood comes directly from Hashem. <laughs> so you know, it's one of those That's like cool. fun, fun ways that they they uh, they are able to to kind of illustrate this point, where it's like. Even as something that everyone is looking forward to, the redemption is like it's this super amazing thing. I I just love that that pair there, where it's like, oh well, that actually comes through an angel who comes and delivers the message of redemption, whereas our wealth comes direct or our livelihood comes directly from Hashem. Can't you both,
2: um, as I can, look back to when you didn't have a good job or? you knew you couldn't support a wife you couldn't you know get a home and you couldn't have a family cuz you didn't have a good job and then and then you you're able to make a living and it's like eyes are open new life begins and you can take a wife you can have children you have a nice house and then you get a nice car and it really is amazing transformation from the guy who isn't working to a man who's not only working but is making a living I mean that's why they call it that it's not like you're making a wage you're making a living because now you can live and life blossoms Mm. I just I think you can see it in every man who's established a home Family and, and so forth, they all got a story mm-hmm. before that happened. And, and it, I, I, I strongly agree with that.
1: Mm-hmm. that it's just transformation. Mm-hmm. And, and to your point about being wondrous, I, I tell you, I think it's, I am shocked and amazed at, at the grace of God, really, that in the money that I earned today. Versus what I was making, in working, you know, at minimum wage at Staples, because my work, my how tired I was, how much effort I put into it, it hasn't really changed. In fact, I think, I find this job a little easier because it fits more my my natural skill sets. You know, and it's like. So it's not like I came out of it like, well, I'm, I'm really, really working hard now, so I have earned every penny in that. It's more like, I have no idea why someone chose to pay me so much money for doing a job that's actually easier than I was doing before. But, I mean, the point is to say that, I, it, it, I mean, the point is not to say that the work is not valuable, because obviously it is. That's why they pay you what it is. But to say that it's really a gift from God, because... The skills that he gives, the opportunities he puts you in, the jobs that he places you in. The influence you can Yeah, the, 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 the circumstances that lead that hard work that you're putting in at minimum wage to be worth a whole lot more, all of the circumstances are God. I mean, it's like we're talking about, I think we get so detached from this experience because we don't farm, but having had a little tiny garden bed in my backyard for a couple of years... The amount of effort you put in doesn't change. You always put in the same amount of effort. Some years you have a huge crop, and other years the caterpillars get it all. And you know, or there's no rain. And it's like you just—it it really comes down to God uh, yeah. change the circumstances around you that either blesses your effort or um, frustrates it. But the rest of it is—I mean, your effort shouldn't really be any different. Yeah, God
2: causes decrease. Right, right, yeah, right. exactly.
1: Exactly. Love it. The uh, this is a great. Passage
0: from the Pirkei Avot uh, two two and this is the study of Torah is excellent when it is combined with a worldly occupation because the mm. effort required by both keeps sin out of a person's mind. <laughs> but where there is no worldly occupation, the study of Torah amounts to nothing and leads to sin. Everyone who works in the community work for the sake of the name of heaven. Mm. I think that I've always loved that passage because. Uh, again, sometimes there can be a misunderstanding, y- if you're on the Christian side or on the Jewish side of that asceticism of like, oh yeah, well if you if you actually want to be righteous, you just need to study Torah in the closet and never move, you know. <laughs> and it's like, well, no, this is actually a real wisdom here is this pairing together because they they lend each other to to themselves. It, it's it's the occupation that you have where you need to apply Torah. There's times where you need to know. How to handle whether or not to charge interest, or the the proper weights and measures, and whether or not you withhold someone's wages overnight. I mean, there's lots of interesting things that relate directly to commerce, and that that are somewhat agricultural as well, but that <clears throat> do have implications, I think, for today and lessons therein. But I it it's uh, then to me to to I think you just had a good point where you were saying how. It's it's that difference between earning a wage, but like earning a livelihood, and I think right. it's in that enjoyment where the study of Torah is actually richer. It's that it's that I've worked hard, I've earned this, and now in in my when I can, yeah. that that study of Torah actually becomes so much more alive and so much more real and through applicable. through the toil and, and, it's and applicable. applicable. Yeah, exactly. That's good. The uh, I, I, this was just a fun verse to add in here. This was from Adios or Adio t- two uh, nine, and this was What's Rabbi Akiva. I don't know Rabbi. This was a quote from Rabbi Akiva, and he says that a father bequeaths his children his beauty, his strength, wealth, wisdom, and lifespan, which I just thought was really cool. I'd throw that in there because this is a men's class, and I think that's as as dads. I think being aware of some of those things it it makes. I, for me, when I read that, I just felt so much more motivated to make sure those were my pursuits. You know, like let me read those again. Yeah, let me read them again. Beauty, strength, wealth, wisdom, and lifespan. Now, the fun and interesting part about all of those things is we have maybe a little bit of control in some of those, but again, just like wealth, they're all blessings <laughs> from Hashem, right? And so, anyway, I just I think that that's, that's an interesting, just an interesting quote there. Yeah, you, the, can't, uh, you
1: can't get this beauty by work alone, that's for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah. The the commentary on this where it was a yet another way the heavens influence a person's fortunes is when they choose his parents for them for him. So the Rambam comments that generally a child inherits the parents' physical attributes and character traits. These in turn determine his wisdom and prosperity, etc. Also the father who is wise trains his child how to acquire wisdom, mm-hmm. while the father who is wealthy in turn
1: teaches the son how to mm-hmm. advance his wealth. That's such a good point. In fact, there's an interesting, uh, really interesting teaching, and I'm struggling to remember who's saying what here, a really interesting concept um, about from the, uh, the indentured servant and the selling of the daughter uh, to marry him. And that seems almost barbaric, like like you know, oh my goodness, you're selling your daughter. But the the idea was it was an engagement. It was like you didn't have enough. She didn't have enough money to have a dowry, which was the traditional thing at the time. You brought money to the wedding marriage. That's part of what made her more uh, attractive in a sense. From uh, she had some position. Phew. So if you are, but if you're stuck in a lower class level, getting out of that's really hard. So this was an opportunity to put her into ostensibly a wealthy home where she would work her way up become part of the family in a sense and then eventually marry either of the the, the, the the head of the home or his son if, depending on the case and that would allow her to essentially escape the cycle of poverty one of the hardest and saddest things about poor societies in, in America today is that cycle where the parents aren't very wealthy so their children grow up in an environment that is unhealthy um for whatever reason, it may not be negative, it may just be, you know, not having a lot of opportunity. And then, of course, their friends and everybody they know are also in kind of the same boat because you don't usually see people mixing a whole lot across classes uh, or wealth, wealth uh, levels. And then, well, as a result, their children are probably going to end up marrying people from that same circle. So getting out of that is extremely difficult. And so to your point is, again, it's a, it's a gift from God. If you're born into a middle-class family or or, or, a, uh, or to a home of someone who had um, aspirations in that direction and helped kind of push you towards that, that is a really significant blessing. Yeah, mm-hmm. indeed. It's interesting too,
0: to reflect on that because I, I think it was an article, Joshua, that you had sent me regarding the hardship of a childhood being related somewhat to the grit of someone older and how that sometimes mm-hmm. is the thing that pushes them towards success mm-hmm. because to your point the the it takes so much more effort to fight the the snowball that's rolling downhill right. <laughs> when you're in an environment like that and so i mean yeah you just if you just get out of it it's like you are already so far ahead from a, a working, a hard work and an, a grit perspective than everyone around you, because of just how hard it was to get like out of that, Your, your work ethic is lead you light years ahead of everybody else. Yeah. Yeah, I know Tony Robbins talks about all the time. Like he grew up with just a single mom and she was a drug addict, and it was extremely difficult for her, but like every single day, he just said to himself, "Like I am getting out of this, I, I'm, this isn't going to be my life. Like I am not going to accept that this is just where I'm at, and this is gonna be my cycle, and these are gonna be my people that I hang out with. And he reflects on that all the time in a very positive way, and, and typically is very, uh, and uplifts his mom for her best effort Calling out that she was a very hardworking woman to care for him, but at the same time, like it was, she provided the motivation to to really get him to uh, to, to just push through and break down a lot of barriers that are so difficult for so many people. And you know now he's he's extremely successful. But um, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. It was a great point. So to give a little preview, it's 8:30, so we'll stop here. But uh, to give a little preview. We, we talked about a lot of great things today, and as I said in the beginning, we have validated the need for this class by saying, we do consider wealth a good thing. Wealth comes from God, it is a gift from God, and it is a huge blessing. It should not be our obsession, it's not the love of money that we're after, it's really the, the righteousness and the wisdom that we pursue and living a godly life, and that God can bless us through that, and one of those blessings being wealth. So, but uh, at the, in the course of this, the rest of this class, I want to just give a little preview. We're, uh, one of the other sections that we're going to be talking about next week will be working hard, what hard work looks like, uh, some really interesting commentary from Judaism's perspective and then looking for some great examples in your own lives, adding to that. And then there's a, a neat chapter on the ethics of wealth, like the, there's, and, and that in and of itself is going to be interesting to talk mm-hmm. about. We may get to it, may not, but there's these interesting smaller but still poignant categories around how we honor our wife and how that relates to wealth, how we honor Shabbat and how that relates to wealth, the positions of leadership and how that relates to wealth, and we'll stop there for now. But at some point, too, towards the end, I'm saving it for last because I think it's going to be very significant and very, very practical, but we'll talk about Tzedakah and giving because clearly... We understand from from both the the Christian teachings that we've grown up with, plus the things that we've read from Judaism, that that is a very key thing. Regardless of our level of wealth, it is an expectation for sure. So I figured we'll end on a real positive note really? there. So that's that's uh, it's going to be our our next maybe one or two next classes. Perfect. So I'm excited. I appreciate your gentleman's Conversation and uh, and discussion points I, I love hearing your perspectives and the things that you've read and your own life experiences I think that's been really helpful uh,
1: I'll close prayer here It talked me into anyway. um, oh, it real quick it was actually Timothy Keller who wrote that book Every ah, Good and Never. Ah, Every Good, good and um, yes I'll pray here now Heavenly Father we just thank you um, for our opportunity to talk about your word and talk about what you say about wealth and money, and um, uh, we are so very grateful for the wealth and money you've put in our lives, for the opportunities that you've given us. Um, we pray that as we study and as we, as we learn together that we would um, be good stewards of what you've given us, that we would keep it in the proper focus and context, and that we would not allow it to supplant you or to um, skew our relationship with you, but that it would be... Rather, a tool that we can use to to better serve you, to to bless others, to find ways to uh, to to please you through our own happiness, and that it would be a, an opportunity for you to breed, uh, to be glorified. Um, we thank you again for the for the things you've given us, and pray this in Yeshua's name, Amen. Amen. Thank
2: you.